So shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm your host, Dan Salikson, joined today by my special co-host, Ashley Jacob. What's up, Ashley? Not much, Dan, except I am very hungry, had very mediocre breakfast, craving something hearty and delicious. So we're keeping you hangry to prepare you for this conversation. Yes. So today, which is March 5th, for those of us in the podcasting world, marks a very exciting day in greater Boston's food scene. We don't have Israeli restaurants opening very often and Israeli fine dining. This is possibly a first. And we're joined today by two people who are behind this milestone, Chef Avi Shemtov and Chef Kyle Krucius, and they are going to be taking what was initially an idea that was a food truck that is still around, the Chubby Chickpea, turning it into this fine dining restaurant known as Simha, which will be located in Sharon. It is opening tonight with a menu that focuses on the international flavors of Israel and Avi's own Sephardic heritage. Described as, quote, progressive but intimate, Simha will serve, in Avi's words, Israeli food like you won't find anywhere else. Avi and Kyle, thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us both. Happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal history? How did you become a chef? How did you break into this business? Yeah, so um, my father was a chef. Uh, My father came over from Israel in 1972, um, landed in Boston, found a $100 bill on the ground at Logan Airport, and thought that like that's what the United States of America was going to be for him. Um, (laughs) Has he found any since? I don't think he's found another $100 (laughs) bill. Um, No, very much not. Uh, And he'll tell you about it. He went on to wash dishes for a while, opened uh, a pizza place in Nashua, New Hampshire, called Espresso Pizza that actually my, my cousin owns, which is pretty cool. And then my father sort of just went on to open and close 17 different restaurants throughout my childhood. Never owned one for more than two and a half years. I remember when the Chubby Chickpea turned just past two and a half, I was like, well, now I've done something my dad never did. But And that's I kind of just grew up in kitchens. So as much as I tried to stay out of them, he, he, made, he always made sure to point me back into the kitchen. Kyle, what about you? I got into cooking when I was about 13. Um, my mother had picked up a night job and... As the only child willing to cook, I kind of took the role and uh, fell in love with it from there. Went went on to go to Johnson & Wales and uh, found myself here at the Chickpea. Now with Avi uh, opening up Simha, you've been promoted to executive chef of the Chubby, of Chickpea. The Chubby Chickpea. Yep. And that's intense. I mean, I was telling you guys earlier, I worked on a food truck in college and it for a summer. It was just very intense, the heat, the cramped space. <laughs> Um, there's either a huge rush of people or nobody at all, and not everybody's cut out for it. I, I certainly wasn't. Um, how did you thrive in that difficult environment? Yeah, I just want to interject and say, uh, I think one thing that's unique about the Chubby Chickpea, just like from an operating standpoint, is that we do 75% of our business not on that truck. So I think like the hardest part of that job and, and where I never thought I'd find somebody that could do it other than myself, uh, and it's certainly better than myself, was like managing... Like yesterday, the tr- food truck's going out, and there's four different orders going. Two of them are on site. Two of them are drop off. So you're right. It's it's honestly running a restaurant is so much easier than running like a modern day food truck business. Food trucks themselves are hard, but in order to make your money, especially in the Boston market, you got to do so many different things. And um, I don't know. I'd love to hear how Kyle does it. I wish he'd show me. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, I'm a uh, kind of like a structure freak, so um, I love to plan. I I always you know tell my guys, failing to plan is planning to fail. So. You know, I just, I get into it, I amp myself up, and uh, it's just this insane internal drive to get the job done and do it right, and I love that. That's, you know, that's my my passion every day. You thrive on intensity. 
Yes. <laughs> I'll say watching him do it that it doesn't hurt to be the first person in the building and the last person out. Like, yeah. God, you know, at the end of the day, the 15 to 17 hour days don't probably don't hurt. No. Nope. I mean, they probably hurt, but they probably don't hurt the success. Yeah, no, hard work pays off for sure. Very much so. So I want to talk about Simha as well. It's something that, Avi, you've been testing for more than a year with pop-ups. Yep. And now you finally have the brick-and-mortar restaurant. It seems like this has been a very deliberate process for you. I'd like to hear a little bit about that process and what made Sharon uh, the location other than uh, your hometown. Yeah, so it's funny. So the Chubby Chickpea started as a brick-and-mortar in Canton Center. And when we, we we were kosher for two years, and right before we became kosher, I sat down and sort of like mapped out the future and put some ideas on paper. And that's when Simcha was really born as a concept. We discussed, me and my team discussed rebranding the Chubby Chickpea as Simcha and going more upscale and elevated. And at the time, for me as a, as a personally, as a chef, as a business person, um, as a competitor, I, I was like... I, I loved the chubby chickpea and I didn't want I didn't want to see that turn into something else. So instead we spent a few years like really fine tuning what the chickpea did, elevating a few things that the chickpea did, but I I'd already kind of mapped out what Simcoe would look like someday. You know, from a brand perspective, from sort of like vague menu ideas. So almost three years ago we started doing pop ups as Simca. It started at um at Seven Star Street Bistro in Roslindale, which Chris Lynn had at the time. He's a great friend and a great chef we went in there and did a series of brunches and the reception was just incredible uh you know it's these little moments that like add up to doing something crazy like opening a restaurant and some guy who i i you know i didn't know then i won't know now pulled me aside and said uh you need to open this somewhere he said boston needs this and um you know i filed that away in the back of my head the next year we did uh, a one day pop-up brunch at juniper and wellesley dave becker's restaurant dave pulled me aside and said you ever gonna open another restaurant and i said nope and he said, you should. And I said, uh, not until people will come for, for exactly what I want to do. And he said, I think you're going to get there. I reminded him of that last night at Friends and Family. And then last year, we took it really seriously. We sat down. We actually branded the pop-up as Simcha. We took we did 16 services in Roslindale. And I've been looking for like the right space ever since. And Sharon, I mean, it's where I grew up. And then I moved back there two years ago. And for me, there was this like weird dichotomy between like building a personal brand and a company that matters in the Boston food scene. And then like walking around my hometown and being like, man, there's nothing like people tell me all the time, like, oh, we wish your truck would come around here. We wish your we wish you would do something around here. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I should do something around here. So the space became available and we did it. So what's your you know, you 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 see this spot in downtown Sharon, uh three hundred three seventy South Maine, but it's actually not downtown Sharon doesn't have much of a downtown, but it, it does have a little downtown. Yeah. And there's a cool place just opened. It. So Angel's Cafe is like, if you haven't been there, you have to go there. It's, um, Ohad is, Ohad Angel is really like the real deal. He comes from Israel. He brings these like really modern, cool ideas, but he doesn't overdo anything. It's just like great sandwiches, coffee shop. That's downtown. And then the, the square just opened up. Rachel Klein is actually the chef there, which is just like a weird thing. Like here, all of a sudden you look up and you go, Sharon Mass is going to be like, the best place for food um my spot is 370 south main so it's like on the way out of town towards foxborough but it's in a plaza 300 parking spots people can come from the city and hang out with us so what's your vision for the space you um you're about to open this space yeah. imminently yep. uh what what did you want people to see when they walk in there what do you want them to feel when they walk into simha so i the i want them to feel not to sound incredibly vain i want them to feel avishemto like i want them to walk in and know who i am and what i do and, and I think people that know me will tell you I'm a little bit unique and I want them to feel that. 
you know, I took this space in a plaza that should be a paint store. And the first time I walked in, I said uh, to the people I was with, I was like, this needs, we need to do something that makes you forget that we're in the middle of a plaza. And the last two nights at Friends of Family, I felt really much like, like that's what we did. And so I'm a big Richard Branson fan. And uh, probably because I like to drink some beers and Richard Branson believes it, that drinking beers with your team makes you better. So I had my team in there when it was just like a vacant space with like linoleum floors and we're drinking beers and Kyle's got a million other things on his mind. And I said, uh, I was describing like this Jerusalem stone wall I wanted to build. And Kyle goes, you should graffiti that. He's like, that's so you is like this traditional Jerusalem stone wall with graffiti on it. So we did, we graffitied it with my grandmother's face. That's who the restaurant is named after. Like the name of the restaurant and my grandmother's face, like watching over the restaurant. And I think when you walk in there, I think you'll feel what I'm about. Like there's clean lines and it's organized and it, it makes sense. But there's also like uh, an unwillingness to bend. Um, there's and, and some really unique features. And I, I like to think that that's who I am as, as a person and, and as a chef. And there's good beer. There's gonna be great beer. Yep. So Modern Draft, who's like, if you're not if you're not using Modern Draft, you're doing it wrong. They just texted me right as I came in here to confirm like that they're gonna install my system tonight. Um, we'll be ready. But they, yeah, there's gonna be great beer. Last night, so the last two nights, Adam Roman now who owns Castle Island was in there drinking Castle Island, and then last night uh, Matt Steinberg owns uh, Exhibit A was in there drinking Exhibit A, and I'm like, I just I like people that put passion and energy into what they do. So there's got to be great beer, but there has to be great beer from people that love to do it. Like that, like I don't, Harpoon's an amazing beer. Sam Adams is an amazing beer. Sierra Nevada is, Torpedo is like one of the best beers I ever drink. But like Sierra Nevada, I, they're way too big for me. Like, listen, 20 years ago, I, I would have been hanging out with the owners of Sierra Nevada and we'd be kicking ideas around. I hope someday to be big enough that people go, Avi Shemtov is boring and, and he's out doing playing golf but at the moment it's like there's this real energy looking around your room and like instead of being friends with successful people it's fun to watch your friends become successful people and like that's that's one of the things i'm really about wow yeah and what you were saying earlier about the straight lines in the restaurant but also you know the jerusalem wall and having that personal that personal twist and personal connection i mean that's really what fine dining is all about sure you know like taking like elevating dishes and putting your own uh, spin on them, making them very unique and real and honest and passionate for you. And as somebody who does come from Sephardic heritage, like I am half Egyptian. Um, yeah, very, very big um, on falafel. And I am also kind of a foodie. Like I love going out. I love eating. You guys eat different falafel though. Yeah, we do. All fava beans, right? Yes. Yeah, Thank no. you. No, yeah. Absolutely. Fava beans are best. I like fava <laughs> beans. I'm a, I'm a, at the chickpea, we make falafel from only chickpeas. We go as far away from that as possible. But like we're not even making hummus from chickpeas at, yes. at Simcha. We're playing with different stuff, yeah. Yeah, and that's your dedication to local cuisine for sure, which uh, we'll talk about in a bit. But for those of you who aren't familiar, listeners on the podcast, uh, Avi, can you share a little bit about Sephardic cuisine, how that differs from what people usually associate with Jewish food? Uh, because Simcha will be the first Sephardic fine dining restaurant in New England. Sure, so I guess like for me, I've, I mean, so first of all, you know, from a like from a historical standpoint, from a culinary standpoint, Sephard, I just, I mean, I'm biased, I'm Sephardic, but I think like Sephardic Jews kind of have it right. Where everyone, it, it's not so in trend anymore, but like five years ago, everyone wanted to use the word fusion for everything. And like as Sephardic Jews, we've been fusing things forever. That's what we do. You know, so you mentioned like you're Egyptian, you'll find like very similar cuisines from Egyptians that you're going to find from Turkish 
Jews, like like my family was, but with vastly different ingredients, which changes everything. Slightly different season blends. It's funny watching walking into like a Whole Foods or a Trader Joe's and seeing like Raz Al Hanu, which is like literally the head of the shop. It's it's house. It's, it should be called house blend. And it's funny to see that like mass marketed, right? Because it's like, there is no universal house blend. So for myself, when I look at Sephardic cuisine, there's a lot of, you know, there's obviously like warming spices and there's paprika and there's turmeric and there's um, a lot of Northern Africa in it. But there's also sort of just a philosophy of like, I don't want to, I, I don't want to change something in order to be like what you've already done. And I would say more than anything, as much as we definitely stick to certain spice blends and stuff like that, because that's just kind of how I grew up cooking. I I cook more. When people ask me, like, why is that Israeli? When I do something that's like not very seemingly Israeli, I always say, because I made it. And that's like something my dad would always say. My dad, when someone says, this hummus is almost as good as I had in Israel, my father would go, what's the difference if I make it there or I make it here? And people will say it's like the exhaust from a bus in Tel Aviv. Yeah, it's the water. Sure. Like yeah. a New York bagel. Yeah, listen, there's a, like a, a great old Jewish joke that goes like, you know, two guys on a desert island, blah, blah, blah. They find them. There's three temples built. Why uh, Why are there three temples? They're like, this is the one I built that I go to. This is the one he goes to. And this is the one neither one of us will ever go to. Now we say if those were Israelis, it would be like there's like 14 and neither no, no one goes to any of them. They built them just because they were like. I built it and then I decided there's a better way and I did the next one and then I did the next one. And, uh, you know, I would say that, like, even though I grew up here and my mom is American, I'm, I'm very much to my core an Israeli and especially in personality traits like that. Like, I'm like, I don't want to whenever someone in my kitchen tells me when I come up with this idea and they'll go, well, that works really well because this blends well with that. I go, then just scrap it. And they're like, why? I'm like, well, because if that if those two things go really well together and that's in some book somewhere that I don't want to do it. Like, we're here to innovate and create and push forward. I don't. There are great places making great food. Listen, you can get great hummus at places. You can get great pita bread at places. You can get great steak at places. I eat at those places, but I don't want to cook like those places. I want to cook things. I want you to come into Simcha and I want you to go, what the hell did they think they're doing? And then I want you to eat it and go, oh, wow, that's cool. And if we're not doing that right, then we're failing. Definitely. And, you know, Israeli cuisine is having its moment now, especially in Boston, Cafe Lanoir, Tate. For sure. Um, there's shakshuka on a lot of menus. Yeah. Um, You're even... welcome. You're welcome. So this <laughs> yeah. is the one thing I don't say enough. I, I fade in humility sometimes. Shakshuka is one thing that I'm going to say is like, I didn't invent shakshuka. Far from it. I grew up eating shakshuka. Everyone in Israel eats shakshuka. I put shakshuka on Boston menus. That wasn't on Boston menus. And I did it at Beyond Bubby's Kitchen like six years ago. And people go, like the whole day I had to tell Jewish Americans what it was. They're like, what is this? What is this? What is this? And then they, some uh, Iron Chef judge like, was asked to rank everything for the globe. And he ranked my shakshuka number one from the night. Like over great chefs. Like Mike Levitan was in the room. It was awesome. It made me believe in myself. And now I walk around and I'm like, everybody, like every hipster joint wants to put shakshuka on. And the only thing I would ask is if you're going to put shakshuka on the menu, can you make it good? Because, like, there are a few places where it's good, but for the most part, it's like, no, shakshuka is not tomato sauce with eggs in it. That's not shakshuka. Like, shakshuka has to hug you. And if it doesn't hug you, you're doing it wrong. Like, it's not Campbell's soup with eggs in it. That's just not what shakshuka is. Sorry, that's my side. No, that's that's perfect. I think I've only had shakshuka once before in New York, and it wasn't um, – like, it, I didn't feel hugged by it. Right. So, like, yeah. what to you makes a really great shakshuka, and what's your own spin on it? Sure. So, I mean, we spin – we spin stuff off it all the time. Like we're always playing with it. I think like the goal as a cook is to get really good at making something and then play within that, right? So like yes. it's not cool to like make a really interesting steak if you if you if, can I say something? Is that if you're not good at cooking steak, but um, 
But the truth is, like, so so we spin a lot off it. But what what makes my shikshuka great? Honestly, my dad. Here's something that that I would say about my dad, Yona Shemtov, is that he like he he can't tell you why. Like he didn't go to culinary school. He's not a scientist, but he understands like how food breaks down. And since I was four years old, he just like taught me to watch flavor. So what makes my shikshuka great? Good olive oil and paprika melting into it and enough garlic and processing that garlic so that it like evenly breaks down. I don't put peppers in shikshuka because it just, peppers do not break down like tomatoes do. So like, I don't want to eat shikshuka that has like chunks of little peppers in it. Guess what paprika is? It's dehydrated peppers. Yeah. So at the end of the day, there's pepper flavor in that. I don't need to put something in it that's like going to make it the weirdest mouthfeel. Like I don't, and it's not watery. That's the other answer is I think too many shikshukas are watery, and I think too many of them have like weird textures. It's, it's about time somebody said it. Yeah, it is. You know, it, too many shikshukas are watery, you. and it's gross. And and the thing is, a lot of them are great places that do a lot of great other things, mm -hmm. but like they're I don't know they're they're reading too much eater, and they go, which is a great publication, but I'm just saying they're reading too much eater, and they're going, oh my god, that guy's making the coolest, you know. Uh, potato salad let's put potato salad on our menu and so no one in the room goes but we don't know how to make potato salad so it's like there are things you're not going to see shikshuka being taught at johnson and wales tomorrow because like it's not technique and it's not like it's a comfort food but the reality is it's really hard to make and you can't like i can't take you back to four years old and make you go through like a 12 year <laughs> 12 year adolescence and childhood to like learn how to watch things happen the coolest thing like that my dad ever used to make when i was growing up is the most ridiculously easy thing to do and it was him just being lazy if my mom's working late or something he would just like take kielbasa out of the, out of the fridge cut it up into pieces put olive oil in a pan get kielbasa working and then just toss it over pasta and I was always fascinated by the fact that like all of this red would come out of that kielbasa and you'd be like, you'd have like this like almost sauce. And and I was just always like, why does that happen? And you know, the answer is like, there are things that melt into olive oil. There are things that toast in olive oil. That dish hugged me more than like a lot of restaurants food hugs me. And people are into like Instagram and patholo you know, pathological and sociopathic food that like, I, that's cool. That food That food looks really pretty. But it doesn't make me feel anything. And I don't know. That's cool if that's what you want to do. That's not what I want to do. What do you want to do? I want to make you feel something. I want you to walk in and I want you to eat something. Last night, a really good friend of mine who I, who I, whose opinion I respect said to me, you know, because we're working things through. He was like, listen, he's like the pita. We're making pita in this wood burning oven. He was like the pita and the hummus coming out of the kitchen will create memories. He was like, you'll have a lot of leeway on service at first because of that. Because someone's going to remember how they felt. And I'm like, that's what we, that's the goal is like, you know, I had this, we, we went and cooked a pop-up in uh, in Austin. I took a couple of the guys that work at Simca there. Like I said, I like to drink some beers. We go down on, on uh, Rainy Street. We're drinking some beers the night before. Go eat some like barbecue. Then we go eat some Detroit style pizza. We're sitting there eating Detroit style pizza. And these friends that we were with who live in Austin and put us up for the night were telling me about the sushi place they love. And I was like, uh, we need to go there. And they were like, ah, it's crazy. So I'm like, we need to go there. Like I'm in Austin for one night. We're going there. We go there. We take an Uber there. And uh, sushi is something like I like to eat, but I don't know a ton about. My wife is more adventurous eater than me, and she sort of introduced me to it over the years. And there's no soy sauce or ginger or anything on the table. And I'm like, I'm panicking. I'm like, well, I'm going to be way out of my element here. And they bring out course after course of these. There's five of us, just like five pieces of sushi at a time. And they're all like already dressed. And I'm like, what? Like, what's going to happen here? And it was the most incredible experience. And I left there like feeling something. I felt like I was a better person for having eaten that meal. 
And that's what I want. I want people to, to come in and I want them to feel changed. I, I don't want, I don't need them to like understand why. I just want them to like walk out the door happier and better than they came in. So I want to talk a little bit about the menu. And this is uh, kind of for both of you because I think, Kyle, you're also working on developing menus at both places or are you just the chubby chickpea chubby chickpea well, that's not exactly accurate well Jesus. yeah i mean yeah it's a cooking is a collaborative process so there are definitely things like we're going to steal your sweet potato hummus i mean that's going to happen um, <laughs> so you're you're experimenting constantly constantly always figure these things out yep. and and i i looked at um i i think what must be a sample menu i don't believe it's your opening night menu uh it looks fascinating cool yemenite fried chicken yep dogfish hold on the word is Jaime. Yeah, thank you for no saying worries. that for me. Absolutely. Thank you for bailing <laughs> out that gotcha. word. Um, how, what goes into the development of a menu uh, other than experimentation? Do you, do you figure out what your producer has for you that day? They just say, listen, we just got some dogfish. It's still flipping around in the truck. This yeah, is yeah. going to be amazing. You need to make this. And for then sure. you say, all right, let me build something around that. Yep. Or is it like, I want dogfish on the menu. Let me find someone who has that for me. So yes, all of that. Right before we walked in here today, I was just telling Ashley this story about like I'm getting text messages from my butcher. Uh, we've, we're like we've got a great team. We've got Joe Joe Henry uh, calls himself Joe the Kiwi Butcher. Is this this guy who I met a few years ago at a bachelor party? We got to talking about food again over beers, and I was like, uh, I'm like, dude, I like he's a, a classically trained, did his apprenticeship from New Zealand butcher, and he's breaking down whole animals, which nobody does anymore. And uh, people like you know, people that call themselves butchers are like bringing in like sides of beef and butchering he's bringing in whole animals so like yeah part of it is him telling me me telling him what i need him to go find me him telling me what he can find me us going to like wardsbury farm and walking through the cooler with them and, and also like sitting down with them having meetings and going what's the next four or five months look like what can i expect in august is that going to be any good who else do you know that can get me these things like they don't grow they don't grow tomatoes in uh in hot houses so they don't have anything in the winter but they can get them from maine for us so like right now we're using tomatoes from maine um working with the team a lot of it is like it's just like you said a lot of things are really deliberate so a lot of it is sitting down and working through like okay like we might spend two hours playing with something today that we won't see again for three months like we're not going to play with it it's 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 nailing things and then going like all right let's put that in our back pocket for like a day where we really don't have anything that's really working and, um, you know, we're always going to be able to get chicken. So Yemenite fried chickens can be on the menu a lot. But when we get, like, when our deer comes in, deer steaks might replace that for a couple nights. But, yeah, it's a lot of playing around. And even then there's tweaking. You might see something on the menu. I mean, when we nail it, we'll, when that's on the menu, it will be just like that. But, like, last, you know, so we've got these, like, confit chicken wings. And they're great. Someone called them salty. I ate them. And I was like, I like salt, so they weren't too salty for me, but I got it. I understood where people were coming from. So we kicked the idea around. Someone was like, well, what if we put an unsalted yogurt underneath it? I was like, what if we took like a really acidic vinegar and put in a spray bottle and like sprayed it just at the last second with it? Maybe we'll do both. You know, so it's, it's just an ongoing process. Putting out food in like a commercial setting, like let's put it this way. My job is more fun. It's more stressful, but it's more fun than, uh, than Kyle's job. Sorry, Kyle. Yeah, it's true. I mean, listen, Kyle's a, <laughs> Kyle's a, but, but you get to experiment a little bit. I mean, yeah. but um, that's why I say like, yeah, for sure, Kyle's involved in Simca menu development because Kyle comes up with something really cool and I go, dude, that w that's going to be brilliant. We're going to sell it over here. You like, you, you got to go sell, I need you to go sell me a thousand falafel sandwiches. So Kyle, do you have bread envy when you see the wood burning oven that he's making pita in or are you? Are Absolutely. You... <laughs> yeah. All right. So th this is going to be an issue. This is going to be an, in, an 
uh, intra-company. Well, it's funny you say bread. that because he had <laughs> pizza come out of my oven and he said, wow, this is so much better than that other pita. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get us to a point within a month where we can feed the truck this bread. Yes. That's, that's my goal. What I, I, that's what I was going to get at yeah. because the chubby chickpea truck is often about 50 yards from where we're sitting right now. Yep. And I would love to try this bread. We'll so get Kyle, can you can you text me when? Absolutely. But I also did have a quick question though, just kind of about the dichotomy between both chubby chickpea and simcha. Um, you know, simcha is trying to be very very local. You're not even using chickpeas in sure. your hummus, like you said. Yep. Whereas like your food truck is the chubby chickpea. So I just mm. think that's super interesting. How do you feel about that, Kyle? Um, really putting you on the spot. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> you can be honest. Uh, I I don't know. I'll say. Yeah, yeah, I'm at a loss for that. I'll one. say. Listen, we both wish <laughs> something like Simcha comes out of comes from a place where, like, we both wish that we could ha- that that the economies of food would work out so that the chickpea could serve all that stuff. Chickpea is a volume game. Um, it's also not the last place that Kyle Cruz is going to cook. I mean, at the end of the day, when you have a company like mine, it's your job. When you get talent like Kyle and a couple other people on my team. It's my job to keep moving us forward so that I have places for Kyle. Like, Kyle's got a brilliant idea to do. Kyle Kyle cooked down south for a while. Kyle's got a genius idea to do, like, a really true old-school barbecue joint that's Israeli. And I'm like, all right, let me run, let me get some out of the way, and then you can go do that. You know, um, we'll trade back and forth. So, yeah, do, do we wish that we could put more local stuff on the menu? Absolutely. When I bring stuff in from Ward's, and we're buying like commercial versions of the same thing for him. I always laugh. I go, "Don't get jealous." Like, "Don't get jealous." But um, <laughs> we're talking about a but bag of red onions. Jealous. Right. That's what I was about to say. It's like I'm thinking of the bag of red onions. And then I'm like, "All right, he needs two onions." I'm like, "You can have two of them. That's what you can have." Um, but you know, it's just listen. It's it's food economy. So the cool thing about my company, I think now, is that so we also own mobile beer trucks. I'm like, what in food and beverage don't we sell? And what I you could be my customer no matter what. Because like, if you want to spend eight dollars on lunch, Kyle's got you. You want to come spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks for your anniversary? Come on down to Simca. I'm not. I'm not pricing. I'm not pricing us out of your life, but I'm not limiting us what we can create. So you know, not. We're just. We're one team. Uh, we do different things every day, but we're one team. It's not like. It's not like one team is creating menus for Simca and one team is creating menus for the Chubby Chickpea. You know, Kyle just created this cool sweet potato hummus, and I'm like, it fits. I mean, we'll roll it on the chickpea, he, he, but it fits Simca. It's like, what's more New England meets Israel than this? I'm like, we're going to steal that. We'll put his name on it. We'll say Kyle Crucius created. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, everybody deserves to get credit where credit's due, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So speaking of, you know, innovation and creating a new exciting hummus flavor what dish are you guys most proud of what, what dish are you most proud of Kyle oh boy honestly at the moment I don't know if it's just because I've been cooking it for years now our shawarma is just like amazing hmm. I haven't had anything like it you know I just uh I don't know it's got so much so many layers to it you know we have this unique blend and uh yeah it just does it for me it's a great answer yeah <laughs> um you know it's funny is like I'm gonna say something very similar for me it's our falafel you know again I don't think food has to be people. We live in a world, thank, thanks to the Food Network and Eater and James Beard, and like again, we exist because of those people. Kyle Cruz probably doesn't start cooking. I don't know if Avi Shemto cooks professionally. If those things, if it's not cool to be a chef, like chefs are servants by trade, but some for some reason they've let us feel like rock stars. Like I'm sitting here talking to a microphone about the fact that I serve people food, and that's cool. But I, at the end of the day, uniqueness 
is not the mark of greatness. Doing something really well is, and I don't know if we'll ever do anything as well as we do falafel, uh, or like Kyle said, shawarma. So when I when I meet people and they tell me that that's the best falafel they've ever had, in, and they've eaten in Israel, that means more to me than going, oh my God, I don't know how you thought of this random thing. You know, I'm driven every day. It's hard. To, it's hard to. It's hard to stay motivated every day by doing the same thing. It is. It's hard, and that's why like Kyle and I work so well together. Is that Kyle is the kind of person that stays motivated by getting things done. And for me, my attention wanders. So like I, I'm like I get I get bored. But just like like washing dishes is mindful because at the end of the day, the difference between being a great dishwasher and a not great dishwasher is how much you care and how much attention you're paying. Same thing's true about being great at making falafel. You know, it's fun and interesting to create new stuff, but when it reads really well on the menu and it looks really pretty on Instagram and then it doesn't taste awesome, who's really willing to like get a shovel and get in the dirt and make that great? You know, I taste our falafel every single day as Kyle does. And some days I go, that's the best thing I've ever eaten. And then some days I go, ah, like guys, more coriander seeds, guys, you're missing salt. Hey, that oil needs to get changed. You know, those are the little things that, that separate that. And at the end of the day, if somebody's paying a dollar for something, they deserve to have the best of it. So if the Chubby Chickpea food truck's not serving the best falafel, then we have to fix that. No different than if you come in a cinema and it's not the best experience, we have to fix it. So I'm glad you said shawarma. It made me, like, I almost cried. It <laughs> felt good. And Avi, your dad owned restaurants, and you're a parent now. Yes, uh, what's your kid's relationship with food? Uh, my daughter eats everything in sight, and, uh, and my son cooks. Uh, my son's going to be a better cook than I am because he started younger, and uh, I think – I'm not saying I'm a better teacher than my dad was, but I'm a more communicative teacher. But my son like goes into the kitchen and he makes sauces. And I mean, they're brutal. I mean, they're not really sauces. But my but my <laughs> wife, like my wife's all like, do we really want him doing this? Do we really want him doing it? And I said, yeah. I said, listen, he's going to learn. Like some people, like my son, he's smart. He's really smart. So he's going to be, he has to, he has to, I could tell him the stove's hot, but until he touches it, he's not going to know it. So, hey, if you can handle it, you can handle it. And it's cool watching him. Like he gets concepts. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to, he can't make a good sauce, but, but I, it's cool watching him understand that you put things into this, that you start from this liquid and you put things in and it's cool. Um, and they, they're adventurous. I mean, I'm not saying they eat dinner every night, you know, it's, it's, it's a chore to get them to sit down, but they, um, they get like, they're willing to try anything. Uh, my wife's an adventurous eater. So, you know, it's funny, like I'll bring duck hearts home and like my two toddlers, like art, or I call them toddlers, one's four and the other six, but they like argue over who gets the last duck heart. And that like, what? that makes me yeah. so happy. Oh my God, so. my kids will eat a combination of starch, cheese and tomato sauce with every single meal. Or yeah. every meal oh, don't misunderstand me. My kids will too. They're adventurous, but like they don't get bored by that. So the, listen, offer them Kraft macaroni and cheese and they don't want duck hearts, but, yeah. but it's cool that they'll eat the duck hearts. What's more interesting to me and more motivating for me is their relationship to like the restaurant business. So I grew up like in basements of restaurants. Like that's where I would go after school is me and my sister would like sit and watch TV in the basement. And it's a big reason why I opened a restaurant in my hometown is like, I love that my kids get what the chubby chickpea is that they understand what tapped is. They, they get say like my son thinks that the office is our office. And he, he like legitimately tells people that he works at the restaurant. Uh, and that makes me happy. You know, it just makes me happy. What's really cool is watching kids sort of like unfiltered give feedback on like a restaurant. Yes. So my my son said to me, 
he, he was like, I'm going to come there and eat. And I said, how are you going to eat? I said, you can't be a customer. I said, you don't have any money. And he said, wait, what do you mean? And I tried to explain to him. And he said, so if somebody doesn't have money, you're not going to feed them? And then he came up with like the coolest idea. He goes, I got an idea. What if someone doesn't have money and we feed them anyway? And then people that can pay for it, they uh, we they pay for it. And I was like, wow, Adley, like, I think we agree politically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So let's move into our speed round as we're beginning to run out of time here. Sure. I'm going to ask you guys some rapid fire questions for both of you. Cool. Um, This one's easy. If you weren't a chef or restaurateur, what would you be doing? Uh, What would I be doing? I would probably be a marine biologist. That was the route I was going in high school or a zoologist. Amazing. (laughs) That's cool. Uh, I would be a rapper. That was my first career, and I was great. I was better at that than cooking. Like, I did a lot. I always feel like I have to justify that statement because people are like, they probably have this idea of like pure corniness. But I was actually, I did shows like all over the country, big Boston shows. Um, I liked when people go, When did you stop rapping? I'm like, Well, I didn't. I think of myself that way still, but I don't do it just because I work 90 hours a week making food. But well, in the mornings at the chickpea, where you just walk in the door spitting lines, <laughs> I've always got Puts some everyone like, in a great I've mood. I've always like got some great idea. In the morning. I did not expect. Either of those answers. No, neither yeah. <laughs> This is why we do the speed round. Cool. What's the best meal you both ever had? Uh, the best meal I had, um, if I'm being honest, it would have to be uh, years ago over the winter, you would invite me over for shakshuka. And those were like, those are great mornings because I'd never had it before. And it was just... 100% food that hugs you. And I haven't experienced that because no one in my family was a good cook. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell him to say that. No. Thank you. I've had a lot of great meals. I guess like I'll probably go the same route just to say that the best meals, I can't think of one meal. Actually, that's not true. The best meal I've ever had, I mean, I say this all the time, is uh, when we when we went to uh, Boston Chops. Oh, yeah. The uh, so like Dave Harnick, who owns the dining car in the city, is a good friend and and runs a lot of big events, so he includes us in a lot of stuff. And there was just like a random Sunday where we sold out at SOA, and it was just me and Kyle on the truck. This is like when we had like no staff left, and we just I said to him, I said, I'll make you a deal. We sell out early, and I'll go over and I'll treat Boston Chops two blocks away. So man, we smoked that service, and uh, we went over <laughs> nothing like a little motivation, nothing like a little motivation. Oh, yeah. And we'd had a good couple months, and I had some money in my pocket, and I was like, let's go. And uh, we went over to Boston Chops, me, him, and, and Dave Harnick, and just ate, like, the most incredible steaks and some oysters. And um, that place is great, which is funny, by the way. Like, Chris Coombs isn't somebody I know personally, and we're not friends. But it just goes back to the idea that, like, that place, there's nothing. You don't walk in and go, oh, my God, this is the most Instagram-worthy or, like, the most innovative. It's just the best. You know, you just go like, no, but everything they make is just mind-blowingly good. So those are the best meals. I mean, that that's the truth. I've had cooler meals, but never better meals. Yeah. So this one is easy. Tel Aviv or Jerusalem? Uh, what are we doing? What's the what's yes. What's the day being? Okay. So Jerusalem's a better... I mean, Kyle, do you have an opinion on that? You've never been? I've never been to either. So Jerusalem is where my family's from, almost entirely where they live. It's one of the best cities in the whole world. But Tel Aviv is like New York City meets Miami. I what? mean, so Tel Aviv. I mean, it's it's like as cool as New York City, and it says like got the weather of Miami. I'm 
I'm going out in Tel Aviv. And if they we're going turn to cauliflower beers. into a gourmet item. Oh, I mean, you're, if you're talking about food, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, Tel Aviv. Although, again, Jerusalem's got some food. And Jerusalem's got food that, that hugs you. You know, again, like, forget about coolness food. What's better than eating, like, falafel at, like, a little cart? I mean, I... I like them both, but I guess like at this point in my life, if I'm going, I'm probably spending more time in Tel Aviv than Jerusalem. But you've obviously wait. Uh, did you say that cauliflower isn't a gourmet food? Uh, it it is. It absolutely is. The mis misnon. It is at Simcha. Is in uh, in Tel Aviv is the greatest food I've ever eaten. Yeah. It's cauliflower. That's all it is. Cauliflower is amazing. Dope. It's I just love cauliflower. Incredible. I don't yeah. know. It's like the, in in Israel, it's tiny. It's not this big brain sized. Yep. You know, thing that's been genetically engineered a million ways. It's a <laughs> tiny little cauliflower that goes into a wood oven or whatever else. It's seasoned in this way, and then it's put inside of a sandwich with this incredible sauce, and it's the best thing I've ever eaten. I can't even so try to replicate this so many times at home. It, it's funny that you mentioned the size of the cauli because um, so when we did the Simca run at Razi, Jeff Gable, um, who does Kitchen Kibbits, he, he like helped me kind of create some ideas he was very involved in that he's a great guy and i was buying all my cauliflower at wards so like in israel where they're not genetically modifying the stuff you get these like really small beautiful but oh, like gorgeous uneven very artistic it looks like a flower almost it's like a bouquet with it's got the leaves it around it it, yeah. it, it's, it's... it looks like god made it <laughs> as opposed to like some guy in a lab and we started putting this stuff out and jeff like comes in the kitchen and he's like they're kind of small. He's like, do you think? And I said, Jeff, everybody in the world thinks farm to table is so cool until they get farm to table. And then they go like, and then they go like, why? Why is this? There's worms in yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> like, why isn't this? Why isn't this perfect? Like, I don't understand why this isn't perfect. And I'm like, I don't know, because like some guy put seeds into the ground and then he grew something and then he harvested what he could and now we're gonna cook it. It, it's opposed to like he didn't draw, like draw a picture and then 3D print it. I mean, we could 3D. You want the 3D printed cauliflower? Like that, that'll be the next thing. But, oh, you know what? Let's open a futuristic place and we'll serve only 3D printed food. Yeah. You want to do it? Yeah, we'll call it Shatter Teeth. <laughs> Mark it down. That's amazing. Um, what's the one Israeli ingredient that you can't get here that you wish you had, apart from non-GMO food? That you can't get here. I mean, there's not – are there things that we can't get here? I mean, obviously, I wish we had the produce. I mean, that's the biggest difference. I have, like, a personal one that's uh, – it's it's not, like, interesting. It's just – so I have a cousin. I have 26 first cousins in Israel. And I have a cousin who started a tahini company. And she has, like um, – she makes tahini, like, stone ground tahini. And I, I really wanted it for Simcha. I was like, oh, we share it. We share it. That's our – both of our grandmother. And we can't we can't get it. Like, the economies of scale for her to to – Export and for us to import just aren't going to work. So, I mean, selfishly, that's the one ingredient. I can't think off the top of my head of anything like being raised or grown in Israel. I mean, again, except to say, like, I wish that Israeli produce was something that was being sent from Israel, but it's just not. I'm not sure of something I can't get from Israel, but there is a specific seasoning that I love, which ties into um, the cuisine, and that would be uh, like sumac like this tart kind of sweet almost lemony berry and uh i just feel like it's an unsung hero in the kitchen sometimes and you discover it and you find where you can place it and uh yeah i just fell in love with it the the day i discovered it here at the chickpea so the cool thing is i've never done this but if we're for kicking ideas back and forth here on the air um becker told me 
that like you can forage for sumac in New England. It grows. It just in happens New England, to be too. something that grows like wild in New England. So you can get wild sumac in New England. Because I know we have poison sumac. Yeah, don't have that. <laughs> that so don't, don't so I don't know. You're gonna have to figure out how to decipher the difference. That's I feel like you would be more likely to forage than I would. Yeah, there might, there might be yeah. a trained poodle that can <laughs> yeah. figure out what's the right sumac for you, like See, a truffle pig. Look at that. You can be a chef and a zoologist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Best of both worlds. So Avi and Kyle, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. We are very excited to try Simcha, which uh, is located at 370 South Main Street in Sharon. It will seat 38 people in the dining room and offer an eight-person bar. It will be open for dinner Tuesday through Saturday from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. and for Sunday brunch 11 to 3. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Jewish Boston's The Vibe of the Tribe podcast. Don't miss future episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And be sure to follow at Jewish Boston on social media for all our content. Thank you, as always, to our editor and mascot, Jesse, and to our maestro, Ryan, for our wonderful music. We are very excited to try Simcha, which is located at 370 South Main Street in Sharon. It is... Sorry, Jesse, hold on. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse, we got to go to a different piece of paper. Yes. We weren't quite ready. Hold all right. on. Did, did you find it? Yes, I did. Okay. We're a boot. Ah. <laughs> we're falling apart at the end. We'll, yeah. We'll, it's okay. We're, I think it's cool. I don't even think you should edit this out personally. <laughs> we're rallying. Jesse, I think you should leave this in. Please don't. <laughs>